17, book of Acts in your New Testament, chapter 17, boy, if the Lord Jesus found you in deep distress one day and flew to your relief, you remember that, and you appreciate that, and you don't have any trouble singing that last verse that says, to him I owe my life and breath and all the joys I have. Amen. That's why the Apostle Paul said, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb. Once you get a hold of Jesus Christ, nothing else is worth spending any time with. Amen. You start spending a lot of time with something else other than the Lord Jesus, there is something you have forgotten how good he has been to you. We live in a day when there are a million distractions, are there not? You know what they're designed to do from a spiritual point of view? Get your mind off the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you love him like you should and like he loved you, you're thinking about him often. All right, Acts chapter 17. Let's see. Uh, this is Paul's great sermon on Mars Hill. And there's so many things I'm tempted to say something about, but for sake of time, I'll get right to it, Lord willing. Verse 29, he says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, I do have to say this. We have a message on now, this present time. It is a very good Bible study for you to look and read what is present, what is now. Let me tell you what's true right now in this present moment, that people ought to repent. Amen. That is good, current, New Testament, church age, Pauline doctrine. Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. All right, you want to know which man you're supposed to be uh, getting ready to face in judgment? It's the one that died and came back up from the dead. That wouldn't be any Supreme Court justice that has ever been. Amen. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to preach this morning on New Testament, church age, repentance. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray you'll take these things and help them, Lord, to sink down in our ears and hearts and minds. And Lord, I pray that we'd have an understanding of how we ought to change our mind about things because of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say that repentance toward God must be understood because God commands it now. Repentance is not an Old Testament doctrine. Repentance is found throughout the New Testament, but there are enough people that attack that doctrine that I feel it's important to point out that it is something that the Bible teaches for right now. Before you go to bed tonight, I bet everybody in this room will have something that they ought to repent of. They'll have some thought they ought to change their mind about or some desire or some feeling or some sinful act or word, or thought, or deed that they need to repent of. Amen. You know why? Because we're sinners. 
We're not holy like our God is. But especially if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to repent and change your mind about whatever you have been trusting and put your trust on Jesus Christ. Now, the word repent, or a form of it, appears well over a hundred times in the Bible. And we're not going to take the time to look at every occurrence of it. Uh, boy, we'd, we'd be here a long time if we did that, but no longer than you'd be at the grocery store today anyway, so maybe we ought to do it. But, but many other times, the concept of repentance is discussed, even though it may not use the exact word, that complete change of mind. You're going one way, and you turn around and go the other. Um, but today, we're going to talk about it just in today's usage of it, in the church age. Now, Strong's Concordance says the Greek word is to think differently or afterward. How many of you have had an experience where you thought one way until you went in that experience and then you learned something and afterwards you thought a totally different way? Uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty good use of it. Uh, Webster's defines the English word as to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something done or spoken, or to express sorrow for something past, or to change the mind in consequence of the inconvenience or injury done. That's a good one. Uh, in theology, it's to sorrow or be pained for sin as a violation of God's holy law, a dishonor to his character and government, and the foulest ingratitude of a, a being of infinite benevolence. In other words, you're sorry you sinned against God. Let me tell you about that word repentance. It strongly implies feeling. You know what you do not want? You do not want a repentance that is 100% mathematically logical. You do not want a repentance that is only rational and reasonable. When you realize that you've sinned against a God that loved you enough to give his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you and to take your punishment for you, you ought to feel something. There is something wrong with a repentance that doesn't have any feeling. That is merely an academic study. There's something wrong with that. So what does the Bible say about repentance in the New Testament? Is it necessary in salvation? Uh, is it not a good idea sometimes after salvation when we learn something and see where we were wrong on something? All right, so I want to say a few things about repentance. The first thing I want to say is repentance should be preached. It clearly says in the middle of a sermon by the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, here in Acts chapter 17, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So Paul preached that. He preached it. It should be preached. It should not be neglected because it makes the gospel complicated or difficult or confusing. There are many that say in our day, well, if you put repentance in there, they don't understand the simplicity of just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Hey, listen, that is repentance. If you weren't believing on the Lord Jesus Christ before and now you are, you repented. You just had a complete change of mind. That is an excellent example of repentance. But repentance should be preached not just because the Apostle Paul did, but because Jesus himself did. Luke chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 24, verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance 
and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus preached repentance. You ought to have a change of mind that changes your life when it comes to God. Um, there's more. John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. He's been living one way. Jesus told him to sin no more. You say, oh no, that's confusing. Why would Jesus tell him to sin no more? Because it's a good thing to say to people not to sin anymore. Should I stop preaching that people ought to stop murder or lying or stealing because people aren't going to do it? Should I stop preaching that because somebody somewhere might get salvation confused? No. Jesus told people to stop their sinning. You ought to stop your sinning. There's no problem with, with preaching that. Uh, he's talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither to come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Well, here was a woman that had had several husbands, and the one she's now with ain't her husband. Why in the world would Jesus bring attention to that? Here's why. Because he deals with your sin. Yes, and that is calling you to repentance. And if somebody has a right heart toward God, they don't have a problem with that. Amen. That woman was thrilled with it. And she went and told all the men. She knew a bunch of men. I'll give her that. She told all the men, come see the man that told me everything I've done. Jesus preached repentance and change. Because convincing people that they're sinners makes them see their need of salvation. That's crucial. You know who never looks for salvation? Somebody that doesn't even know or think about the fact that they're a sinner. Somebody that doesn't know the penalty of sin is hell. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's what it'll do. It'll kill you. So death entered and death by so sin entered and death by sin. So that all have sinned. So that all because why? Because all have sinned. So these things are a result of sin. So the first thing you have to do to get somebody saved is they need to understand that they're a sinner that deserves hell. You know what will happen if you get 100% convinced that you're going to hell? You're going to look for a way out. How many people are going to go, well, I'm going to hell. I guess that'll be all right. Not somebody that has any biblical understanding of hell. So convincing people they're sinners makes them see their need of salvation. I'll tell you something else. Evil deeds make people avoid Jesus. John chapter 3. As this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because the de their deeds were evil. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know why we preach against sin? Because the more you do it, the more you hate Bible preaching. Because it's the light. The more you don't want anything to do with Jesus, because he is the light of the world. Come to the light, tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. But the more you sin, and the more you sin, and the more you sin, the more you hate the light, because you know every time you go to it, it's going to fuss at you. Amen. Listen, I share that. Guess how I feel about people that every time I'm around them, they're fussing at me. I don't like that. I don't like that one bit, I admit. 
But what if I just continually do something that is damaging to myself, that is self-destructive? If somebody loves me, they're going to bring that up quite often. If somebody couldn't care less about me, they're going to let me do it all I want. They couldn't care less what happens to me. <laughs> the more you sin, the more you don't care to come to the light. 2 Corinthians 4, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know what the devil's interested in doing? Getting your mind just as dirty and dark as it can so that you can't see that light. He blinds the minds. According to Jesus, repentance is needed. And here's another reason repentance is needed. To make sure it's the right kind of faith. Not every belief is saving belief. Uh, there's a way that when you were a child, you learned that George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. You just learned a historical fact. Now, perhaps you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was just a good man that went around doing miracles and was a good prophet because you learned that from history. Jesus did do miracles. He did do some good prophesying. And you believe that as a historical fact. Will that save your soul? No. It is his death, burial, and resurrection Amen. that saves your soul. It is you believing on him that involves a change of feeling, a change of mind. It makes a difference. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Does that mean he stops sinning? No, I'm sorry to say that's the last thing it means. <laughs> I wish it did mean that. But it doesn't mean that. But it does mean a change. John chapter 2, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. So Jesus got looking and seeing, yeah, they're, they're believing that I can do these miracles. But he didn't exactly commit himself to them. He said, okay, it's cool to see a miracle. It's neat to get food. He says in another place, uh, you're not coming because you saw the miracles, realizing that that's fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. You're coming because you got your bellies full of the bread that I made. There's a kind of belief that isn't saving belief. James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The devils were 100% convinced that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know what the devil hadn't done? He hadn't repented. Not one thing in him has changed. All he does is give it mental assent, believing it kind of like it's a historical fact. That's the, that's the extent of the devil's belief. All right, so repentance should be preached. It's preached by Paul. Repentance should be preached. It's preached by Jesus. Repentance should be preached. It's preached by Peter, speaking to the Jewish early church in Acts chapter 3. He says, But those things which God had before showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Now this is early in the book of Acts. He's talking to that part of the church that's almost fully Jewish still at this point. You know what he still tells them? Repent. You didn't believe on Jesus. Now repent and start believing on him. Um, Acts chapter 5. I'll, I'll read from there since I'm already in the book of Acts here. See, Acts 5 verse 28, I think I'm looking here. 
Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of, his sin, of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. So speaking to the early church that was so Jewish, Peter says, repent. He furthermore points out that the Holy Ghost agrees with him. Uh, that passage there, Acts 5.32, ends with this. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. John chapter 16. John chapter 16, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit coming. What does he say? He says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me. You know what the number one sin that you better take care of in your life is? Not believing God. Amen. That's the number one sin you better take care of. What, what would you think if you told me something, I got talking with you, and you told me something that happened and something you've been through, and I said, I don't believe that. You're lying. Wouldn't you be insulted that I would say such a thing to you? How much more if you say that to God? How much more if an all-powerful, all-knowing God tells you something and you don't believe it? And a holy God who cannot lie, and you, who, let's be honest, you have lied more than once, haven't you? And yet you're going to call God a liar? What in the world? The Holy Ghost agrees with Peter that repentance should be preached. But furthermore, not only at the early church that was so Jewish, later in the book of Acts, getting in chapter 11, the Bible says, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So he said it to the early church. He said the Holy Ghost agrees with him. He preached the same thing to the Gentiles. Furthermore, in his epistle, you know, First and Second Peter are his letters that he wrote toward the end of the New Testament there. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Not willing that any should perish, that is, die lost, but come to repentance. So when you don't perish, you know what you do? You repent. It's equated with salvation there by the Apostle Peter. So first thing I want to say is repentance should be preached. Secondly, I want to say this. This will get me in trouble with some people. But repentance should be produced. Repentance Amen. should be produced. There should be repentance in your life. Now, of course, some would immediately say, see there, you're teaching work salvation. No. I didn't say you should produce it. You can't. God Almighty has to do a work inside of you before you can repent. Just try repenting. The Lord has to do something. The Lord has to send something that gets your attention. The Lord has to do a work in your heart before you repent. Did somebody ever talk to you about getting saved before you got saved? Well, why didn't you get saved first time you heard it? The Lord hadn't done anything inside of you. 
It is not a work of man, but a work of God. Acts 11, 18, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance and the life. It didn't say, Wow, the Gentiles are all perfect now. They've all repented and quit sinning. No, that's not what it says. What it says is, God granted them repentance. So repentance should be produced. 2 Timothy 2.25, In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. When you understand that God's the one that gives repentance, I hope that steps up your prayer life. Amen. I hope at that point you say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. But I know from my Bible, you are the one that grants repentance. Will you help me with this? Put your trust on him. He's the one that will grant you repentance. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You don't trust your own willpower. I am impressed by people who have such strong willpower that by their own strength of will, they can stop eating too much or sleeping too much or some bad habit. That's great. I admire that. It's not exactly my strength, but let me tell you this. You can't turn from all your sin out of willpower. Amen. You can't turn your, your trust over to the Lord Jesus Christ just by willpower. The Lord has to call you and do a work inside of you. Repentance should be produced. It is a fundamental or foundational principle. Some of you know that we study Baptist history and there used to be a group called the Six Principal Baptists and they took their, type, their name out of Hebrews chapter 6. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So the principle, the foundation of the Christian life, one of the basics of it is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. If you have your trust in your dead works, you have not repented. You haven't changed your mind about these things. It is a foundational truth. It is a principle. Acts 14, 15, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. That's getting later in the book of Acts after he's definitely going to the Gentiles. And you know what he's saying? He's saying turn from this pagan worship that you're doing and turn to God, turn to the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, there's the Gentiles, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 26, really getting laid in the book of Acts. O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and through all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Hey, we've got a generation of people that hasn't turned to God in a long time. There's always a ball game. There's always a love story. There's always a lottery ticket. There's always a weather report. There's always a news item. There's always some sort of entertainment, a new song, a new movie, a new something. And God never enters into their mind. 
no fear of God. No, you know what we need to do? We need to repent and turn to God. He needs to be on our minds. Now, I thank God for many of the luxuries that we enjoy. i got to admit, modern times have brought us many comforts. People live in wealth and luxury. But the Savior still asks this question, Lovest thou me more than these? Hey, Christian, before you get loving your luxuries too much, remember the luxuries the Lord Jesus Christ gave up for you. You'll never give up anywhere near what he gave up for you. To be the crown jewel of heaven and the whole universe and come down here and live a, a, a life of poverty and then die on that cross for you, you'll never come anywhere close to what he gave up for you. We should repent and turn to him. It's not a work of man, it's of God. It's a fundamental or foundational principle, and I'll say this, it'll affect a result. 1 Thessalonians 2, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, here it is, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Amen. You know what will change your mind? When you realize this King James Bible is the word of God which will work inside of you. You know when it won't do anything? When it's just a sermon to sit through. When it's just a, a, a chapter you got to get through because you said you'd read your Bible today. When you realize it's the Word of God and there's something He's wanting to get inside your heart and mind and do with it right now, today. That's one reason I can't stand worrying about what the ancient languages said. Amen. You get this idea that thousands of years ago God was speaking and oh joy to the world if we could just somehow get back to those originals and find out what God was saying thousands of years ago. Let me tell you something. The Lord is wanting to talk to you today, right now, right this minute. And this word of God is living. Word of God. Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He is looking in your eyes, in your brain, in your heart. As you read it right now, it is not thousands of years old, if only we could find the originals and find out what they really meant. No, he's speaking right now. He's not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. Amen. Let him talk to you today. And when you see the word of God that way, it'll effectually work inside of you. And it'll change you. It affects some result. It affects some result first of all toward God away from idols. That is, whatever it is that you're Worshiping uh, before you were worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1 3 says, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols. You were over here with these idols and now you've turned to God. An idol, as you know, in these ancient uh, cultures and even some current cultures was a statue. Something that somebody made and called it their God. But you know what? The Bible also says in the New Testament that covetousness is idolatry. There's plenty of people that worship money. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. You cannot serve God and mammon. Doesn't the Bible say that? Yeah. 
Uh, other people, it's entertainment. Other people, it's whatever pleases the flesh. Other people, it's whatever brings popularity and makes the world love them. Turn to God from idols, whatever it is you were serving, whatever it is you were worshiping. Uh, turn to God and away from immorality. Romans chapter 2, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's Romans 2, 4. What had it just been talking about in Romans chapter 1? The perversions that men and women had gotten into. And then Romans 2 says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You turn to God from all that perversion. There's some perversion going on in our day. Just If you doubt it, look at colleges. If you doubt it, look at our society. If you doubt it, for that matter, you can ask a kid in the high school. There's perversion going on in our day. You know what we need to do? We need to turn from that toward God. Toward God away from immorality. Colossians chapter 1 says, You that were sometime, you that sometime were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. What were you? You were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. Now you're reconciled to God. So you were enemies. Now you're buddies. David. You were in a fight. Now you're reconciled. Now you've made up. You know what that is? Repentance. A complete change. Toward God and away from immorality. Here's a good one. Toward God and away from self. All your life is for you. Me, me, me. What do I want? What will make me feel better? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What part of you is just the natural man? The creature. How do you like being called a creature? <laughs> but if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become you new. The natural self. You return from the natural self to God. Here's an important one for a lot of people to know. You have to turn from your religious self to God. Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Many of those Jews took great pride in the fact that they kept that Old Testament law, and they abstained from pork, and they observed the Sabbath, and they had the right of circumcision, and they had all that stuff, and oh, how they were trusting in their religion. But if you're going to turn to the Lord Jesus, you'll have to turn from your old fleshy creature self, and you'll have to turn from your religious self. That is, whatever religion you've been trusting to save you, and trust what he did on Calvary and coming up out of that grave to save you. Amen. It is just so much simpler, it seems, to a lot of people, to just stick with the religion that's already made for you. They've already got the church. They've already got the rituals. They've already got the sacraments. They've already got the commandments. They've already got their habits and whatever they're putting their trust in. And it's already right there, and it's been there for centuries. Let me just keep going. I'll go pay for my sins for an hour at our little religious thing, and I'm good. But let me tell you what's even simpler than that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's even simpler. Toward God and away from self. Here's a good one. Toward God and away from ungodliness. When you turn toward God, you can't help but turn from ungodliness. If God is here, what would be over here? Ungodly, wouldn't it? All right, uh, Titus. 
Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 verse 11, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned, I'm sorry, that's chapter 3, 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So here we were in all this sin, and now we're turned and looking to Jesus and looking for him to return. And you know one of the reasons he saved you? To purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, does that mean that you doing some good works saved you? No. But that is one of the reasons he saved you was toward good works. If you doubt that, read the book of Titus. It's just two or three chapters, and it says it over and over again. Not to mention other Pauline epistles. So toward God and away from ungodliness, and here's an important one for Bible believers in the 21st century, toward God and away from apathy. Uh -oh. You know what we do a lot of times after we're saved? We're saved. We're not going to hell. Who cares what happens now? But the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 1.8 that when he comes back, he's going to come back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that sound like he's just apathetic now once he gets you saved, nothing else is going on? There's plans, and they're horrible plans. And that ought to break our hearts and especially for the ones that we love that haven't received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, we ought to feel something. You know what worries me about a, a, a lack of preaching on repentance? It is a salvation that has very little feeling to it. You ought to feel what Jesus did, and that ought to make you act. If there was a slight fire in a field near here, I could say, all right, somebody's over there cooking some hot dogs or something on a fire, and y'all wouldn't think much about it. You would know that there was a fire, but you wouldn't feel anything. But if I told you this building you're in is on fire, you'd get real interested. Hey. Even if it wasn't one you were in. If it was one that a loved one of yours was in, a child of yours was in, or a grandchild of yours was in, all of a sudden, one of the most important things in your life would be to get that loved one out of the fire. You know what we need to do? We need to repent of some apathy. Because if what this New Testament says is true, there is flaming fire taking vengeance on some of God's enemies, and the last thing we want is really anybody to go through that, but especially our loved ones. Amen. Toward God and away from apathy. Repentance should be produced. And I'll say it last. Repentance should be prolonged. That is, it should last. Did you know some repentance doesn't last? I've said ever since I was a young preacher, one of the disappointments, one of the things that has broken my heart more than any other is coming up in Bible-believing Baptist circles and seeing the people fall away. So few people, 15 years later, are still serving God. That breaks my heart. Now, they're saved. Don't get me wrong. If they trust the Lord Jesus Christ, their Savior, they're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. I'm happy for it. But it sure would be good to have some fellow laborers 
and some fellow soldiers and some other people that love the Lord Jesus. Isn't it fun when you meet somebody that you didn't know, but you find out that they know a, a close friend or relative of yours, and you can swap stories and talk about this person that both of you love? How much more when it's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he changed your life. What a blessed thing to fellowship with God's people. So repentance should be prolonged. It should be prolonged by sorrow over wrongdoing even after salvation. You know what the Apostle Paul did when he would tell about his life before his salvation? You could feel the, the sorrow in him about that. He said, who am less than the least of all saints because I persecuted the church of God. He hated that, what he used to do. So you know what he did? He continued in his repentance. He kept living for the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says it this way. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Boy, it's good when somebody gets saved and they never repent back from it. Now, I don't mean by that that you can lose your salvation. But when they get saved, their life changes. They start living for the Lord. You know God has given them joy. You know God has given them spiritual power. But you see them years later, and they're not the same. They didn't repent in the sense that they went back and lost their salvation. But they re repented in the sense that they went back and lost their joy. And they went back and lost their power. And they went back and lost their testimony. But godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Tell you something else. Repentance should be prolonged after a rebuke from one who loves you. When somebody loves you, you ought to pay attention, even when they're getting on you. You should think, now wait a minute, this person cares about me. At this point in my life, they have proven I am important to them. They love me. If they're fussing at me, they probably see something that would be good for me. Here's what the Bible says in Revelation 3. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Not everybody that fusses at you is hurting you. You know how I know that? Because God Almighty says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Hey, when God rebukes and chastens you, do you listen? Hey, when mom or dad or some... Uh, authority figure that you know loves you and cares about you rebukes and chastens you. Do you listen? That is an important thing. You know why? Because we're sinners that sin every day. We have a little bit of we have a little bit of correction needed about every day, don't we? Amen. What if we get used to shutting our ears to that? After a while, the sin and the lack of repentance piles up. Now I'm talking to save people. I'm not talking about to get saved here. I'm talking to saved people. Your repentance ought to be prolonged. It ought to keep going even after you're saved in the sense that you still got some things you need to work on, don't you? But you know what will happen? You'll turn on the radio. You'll turn on the TV. You'll start watching a movie. You'll start scrolling through your phone. You'll start playing video games. You'll look at social media, whatever, and you'll quit listening. And the next day, God will give you another warning. You won't listen to that one. And the next day, you won't listen to that one. And next thing you know, you've gotten a habit of not listening to God. How does that work for your Christian life long term? It is not good. Repentance should be prolonged after a rebuke from someone who loves you. 
Repentance should be prolonged when you forget God. Revelation 3, 3, that same passage that we were referring to, it says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. What does he say? Remember. You know what we do sometimes? We just forget God. Our salvation was years ago. We're not worried about going to hell anymore. We know that we're a Bible-believing Baptist. We got our stuff down. Now I can worry about making money. Now I can worry about, worry about having fun. Now I know not to do the big bad things. But here's what the Bible says. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. In the Old Testament, he said, you know what we need to do? We need to remember when Solomon was praying that great prayer of dedication for that big, mighty temple, one of the wonders of the ancient world, this is what he prayed. He said, Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land whether they, whither they were carried captives, and repent and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, We have sinned and have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, then hear thou from heaven. Solomon said, listen, even if they've sinned against you so much that you let another nation come and take them in captivity over to their own nation, if they bethink themselves, that is, if they remember, you hear them even then, God. Let me tell you what we do. We serve a God that takes care of people that remember him even when they've gone too far. The prodigal son could have easily said, you know what, I've gone too far. I've already spent a lot of time in the far country. I've already wasted all of daddy's money. I'm already about to starve to death in this hog pen. I, it would be too embarrassing to go back to dad. Let me figure out some other way. But you know what he did? He went back to the father, and the father took him. There would be a lot more prodigals returning if they would just choose to. Amen. But the problem is they choose not to. The problem isn't with the father receiving them. The problem is them going back to the father. Oh, we need to prolong our repentance when we forget God. We need to prolong our repentance to keep from fighting God. Listen, the last thing you want in your life is God Almighty is your enemy. The devil's a pretty bad enemy. I'll grant you that. The description of him in the Bible is fearful. The world is a pretty bad enemy. I'll grant you that. It's big and powerful. There are a lot of enemies that can inflict some damage on you, but let me tell you who can do worse than all of them. God. Jesus said, Fear not them which kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. You know what we need to do? We need to repent and prolong our repentance. And now if we're saved, we don't have to worry about going to hell. That part is covered. But he's still a powerful, mighty God, isn't he? And we need to prolong it so that we're not fighting God. Revelation 2.16, Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. In another passage, he says, Or else I'll come and remove your candlestick, the candlestick representing the church, the Lord does away with people's blessing of being his church. Now they're saved, don't get me wrong, I'm not teaching anybody loses their salvation, but they don't have their power with God, they don't have their fellowship with God. Their candlestick is removed, the power is gone. 
Ebenezer, or uh, I'm sorry, Ichabod. Ichabod is written over them. What a sad thing when somebody loses their power. Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. But maybe the best reason that you all prolong your repentance is to regain your first love. You know what happens when you get busy making a living and doing all the things that have to be done and fulfilling all your responsibilities and going from one thing to the next thing to the next phone call to the next job to the next appointment to the next... Isn't there just always something... <laughs> The problem is you get thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and you hadn't thought about God in a long time. Roman, uh, Revelation 2.4, the Bible says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Well, what do you do? The next verse tells you. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You know why we need to prolong our repentance? So that we regain our first love. Remember from where you were fall. Remember what you used to say. Once in a while, a married couple will come across their old love letters that they wrote to each other when they were in the courtship stage, or maybe when they were first married and one was removed from the other, maybe due to war or business trips or something. And they'll read some of those old love letters and that it will remind them of how they feel about that person. To tell you the truth, they hadn't thought some of those thoughts in a long time. You know what's a real good thing to do? Remember where Jesus brought you from. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Just remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Hosea 4.11, the Bible says, Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. You know what happens with a lot of people? They've gotten into some things. They've forgotten about the Lord. They've dabbled in some sin, forgotten about the Lord, went further in some sin, forgotten about the Lord. And you know what it's done? It's taken away their heart. Matthew 24.12 says this, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know what will make your love go away? When there's just sin everywhere. Now don't misunderstand. You're not going to attain sinless perfection down here on this earth. I understand that. But you don't have to take a bath in it. Amen. You don't have to saturate your mind in it. Amen. You don't have to listen to it all day every day. You don't have to look at this world's dirty pictures all the time. You're going to see some. If you're going to live in this world, I'll grant you, you're going to get some on you. But you don't have to obsess with it. You don't have to fill your mind with it. You know why we ought to prolong our repentance? To regain our first love. Who in the world deserves our love more than the Lord Jesus Christ? All right, what have we looked at? We've looked at New Testament church age repentance. You know what it is? It's simple. It's turning to God. Now, yes, when you turn to God, that does imply that you turn away from some, from some things that he doesn't have anything to do with. Yes, it does imply that. Of course, this makes necessary turning away from whatever is keeping you from God. 
It is absolutely required for all men everywhere now because man is naturally turned away from God due to his sinful nature. Did he not say, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent? Does he, does he not say that? If you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, simply believe on him to save you. If you find that simple thing difficult to do, here's what's happened. You haven't changed your mind and heart about your sin or your complacency or whatever is keeping you from Christ. If somebody says, well, I'm not doing that because I wouldn't have any fun, then the thing that is keeping you from God is your desire to have fun. Now, don't get me wrong. That's not the plan of salvation, to lose the, the desire to have fun. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the plan of salvation, but that might be the thing that's keeping you from Jesus. Other people, it might be the love of money. Well, I won't make as much money if I start living that way. It's not that the love of money is what, losing the love of money is what saves you, but that might be the thing that's keeping you from Jesus. I can't tell you what might be the thing that won't let you think about Jesus. But here's what will save you is when you turn to Jesus and quit worrying about that thing. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ is what will save your soul. Just turn to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. But I'm talking to people that are saved here mostly today. I know that. Let me tell you what you do. You turn to Jesus. Now that will mean turning from some things that are keeping you cold and hard and distant from him. But mainly it means you just turn to Jesus. And you fall back in love with him. And you remember what he did for you and what he saved you from. And what he has planned for you. Your glory days are ahead of you. You'll never have to look like this world and say, oh, if I could only be in high school on the football team again. Oh, if I was only as pretty as I used to be. You'll never have to say that because your glory days will never be behind you. They'll always be before you. Amen. If you turn to Jesus and draw your heart close to him again. Repentance in the New Testament church age, it's still Bible doctrine, is it not? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'll come down.